All right. How many of you, well, let me ask it this way. If you struck it rich, if you won the lottery, what's the first thing that you would do? Just think about it a minute. Think about that. What would be the very, very first thing that you would do? Or the second thing? How would you appropriate that money and what would you do with it? I don't think there's anybody alive that hasn't thought, well, I wonder what it would be like to come into a big cash flow. Well, you know, what would, what would go on? What would happen? I know, I do know this. And that is the more income that comes flowing in, the more... Um, the restrictive you get, kind of, of where it goes and, and what happens with it. We always think, well, gosh, if I had all that money coming in, I would be benevolent. I would do this, I would do this, I would do this, and I would do this. Let's just take, if, for those of you who give to charities or give to the church, you know, you're going, okay, well, 10% of nothing's nothing. I can do that. But now I got a million dollars. That's a lot of money or whatever charity it is that you give to. I want to read a couple things to you as far as riches go. What is the median income worldwide? Well, the median income worldwide is the amount that is dead in the middle between the least and the highest amounts, right? What would you guess it is in the United States? In United States dollars? Anybody? 25,000? What's that? A dollar amount. About a dollar? It is $850 per year. That's not a month. $850 per year. People who have incomes of $41,000, United States currency, are in the top. This is going to get you. If you make $40,000 $41, or more, you are in the top 3% in terms of the richest people in the world. Yeah. If the trillion-dollar worldwide economy were evenly split up between Earth's 6.7 billion people, the average income would be $7,000. $7,000. The country with the highest median income is Switzerland. Theirs is $60,288. And the U.S. median income is $50,233. That's the median income. Halfway between the richest and the poorest is about $50,000. That means, if you stop and think about it on a worldwide situation, some people are living in absolute poverty. A lot of people are living in absolute um, uh, poverty. The highest uh, national income per capita, the gross national income is Luxembourg. Theirs is $63,978 and the U.S. gross 
national income per capita is $47,320. So I know that's a little bit to digest, but I want you to think about how little that is in, in our terms. When we think of it, right, what's everybody shooting for? If, if you're in business and you're working or you're working for somebody else, what are you shooting for? 50000 You're shooting for 60000 You're shooting for 70000 There are 3 billion people in the world that live, less, live on less than $2 a day. Let me read that again. 3 billion people in the world live on less than $2 a day per day. We will spend more than that on gas to get to go to get a hamburger today <laughs> or to go get lunch or whatever. If you're going to go out for Father's Day, I'm guessing you're probably going to drop at least 50 bucks and if not maybe even more than that. If you're going to take well, you can't take dad out to McDonald's. I mean, come on, you got to you got to take him somewhere, right? Now, I pose that to you because Paul's going to, be, going to be dealing this morning with riches. Just about how rich we really are. And I think that as Christians, sometimes we take that for granted. Man, every time I try to turn things off, they keep coming in. All right, let me see. Pastor Dan, I'm trying to remember what you said to me. Put this thing on, on silent. If it rings now, it's not my fault. Okay. Last week, Pastor Dan. He dealt with what it means to be alive in Christ. Now, <laughs> to be alive in Christ. To be alive in Christ means to really be alive. To be a Christian means to be alive in Christ. To be born again means to be rich. And this is what Paul is trying to convey, convey to us. All the money in the world, it may be fun for a while, but it will not make you happy. It will not take away the depression. It will not take away the anxiety. It will not take away any of the other things that we face on a regular basis. Yes, some things may be easier, but a lot of things become a whole lot harder. So we need to be grateful for what the Lord has done in us and through us and for us. And in Ephesians 2:19, he puts it this way: We are no longer strangers. We're no longer foreigners, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. In other words, we've been adopted into the richest family ever existed. We've been adopted into God's family. He holds it all. Everything is His. People might want to think it's ours. We might want to think it's ours, but it's, it's really not, is it? In an instant, whatever you've saved can be gone. In an instant, all of a sudden, a life, a person, someone you love, they become more important than all the money in the world. You'd give it all away just to have them around. Paul continues that theme in chapter 3. 
Now, there's a group of people that didn't feel that way about the Gentiles. They didn't want them to be a part of the family. You, you ever, you have somebody in the family that you wish weren't a part of the family? Yeah, some people are going, yeah, I sure do. But there's some folks who, they didn't want the Gentiles to be a part of the family. Because the Gentiles were nothing more than dogs to them. They looked upon the Gentiles, the Jews looked upon the Gentiles as heathen dogs. That they could not be saved unless they converted to Judaism. Isn't there a lot of unlesses in life? You can't do this unless you jump through this hoop. You can't be good if you don't jump through this hoop. You can't be this if you don't jump through that hoop. Well, this was another big hoop for the entire Gentiles. And you and I, most of us, wouldn't be sitting here today if this didn't happen. If this message didn't get across that God loves everyone. Not everybody will love him back, but God loves absolutely everyone. And he's willing to adopt them into the family. But some people just reject that. No, I don't, I don't want to be a, a part of the family of God. So, Paul's saying, look, God shared, them the, shared with them the same grace that you have. The stepchild should not get less than the blood child. They shouldn't be treated any different than the blood child. Otherwise, don't adopt them. If you're not going to love them with all of your heart, if you're not going to treat them as family, if you're not going to treat them like they're yours, don't adopt them. Let somebody else adopt them who will love them and bring them into the family. That's what he did for every single one of us. And you know what? We were the last kid in that orphanage to be picked. Nobody wanted us. We were the ones that had been there the longest because we didn't fit in. We didn't match up to everybody's expectations. It's like the Lord came in and said, I want that one. I want the one that's the biggest mess. I want the one that needs me the most. Oh, man, I love that. All right, let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, we just pray with humility and, and grace. And with gratitude, Father, to know that you've given us a guideline. You've given us the directions. You've given us the blueprint for life. And yet it's funny because if you go to build something and you have the wrong blueprints, it's, just, it's not going to turn out right. And yet in today's world, we will trust anything and everything but the correct blueprint. So, Father, we pray this morning that your word would speak to us deeply. And it would change us dramatically. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Well, for what reason? It's based on the first two chapters. What he's already said. It's for this reason that I speak to you based on what I've already stated and he makes the statement about being prison, in prison did you notice that he feels like he needs to explain to the Ephesians why he's a prisoner if you believe or have believed in the positive confession movement right God basically will do anything you tell him he has to do you just have to 
you know, put it out there. You have to say it. You have to remind God of what he may have forgotten in his promises. Isn't that stupid? Isn't that kind of foolish to think we got to remind God of the promises that he gave to us at the beginning? But that's the whole positive confession thing. This church in Ephesus, or the area around Ephesus, especially the ones he's dealing with here, they're going, well, if, if Paul is this great apostle, why aren't things working out so well for him? If he really believes in God, and he really believes in a miracle-working God, and he has all of this Old Testament miracles, and even the miracles are going on in the New Testament, he has all of this, why is he in prison? You ever had anybody do that to you in your life? If they're a Christian, why do Christians suffer? Right? If God is your God, then why are you going through such a hard time? Why are you going through such a hard thing? Do you notice also he said that he was a prisoner of who? Rome? Guys, this is vital. This is really important. He is a prisoner of Jesus Christ. You see, that's what makes the difference between a trial you can't stand and get angry with God and a trial you say, I'm in this because God wants me to be in it right now. Or at least all things are going to work together for good in the middle of this trial. Paul is in the middle of a trial, wouldn't you say? He's sitting in a dank, dark, dirty, filthy prison. Where's God? That's where all of his friends, that's what they're asking. That's what all these people are asking. And he goes, guys, you've got it all wrong. You don't understand. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. And we've watched God fling the doors open before when men were in jail. So these bars can't hold me if God doesn't want me here at this point in time. After all, Christians are supposed to have perfect health, right? Perfect wealth, perfect complexion, perfect shoes, perfect car, perfect house. Aren't they? No. No. No, they're not. And I think that's some, sometimes where we really get off base is because there's too many preachers out there preaching that prosperity gospel. And if you're brought into that and you hear that and something begins to happen in your life, you're going through a trial, your natural response is going to be, where is God? What's the first thing you tell your children if you have to give them discipline, if you love them? What's the first thing you say? And I know it's cliche, but this hurts me as much as it hurts you. Maybe more. I don't want to do this. I wish I never had to spank. Oh, well, I'll throw you in jail for that now, right? I, I wish I never had to spank. I wish I never had to send you to your room. I wish I, we never had to re, you know, set a, a, a more restrictive uh, curfew. I wish we never had to do that. But you see, I have to because I love you. Why would God not be that way 
also in the sense that there's sometimes he needs to do things in our life that we don't like. But the difference between losing faith and losing hope and hanging on is right there. Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So now he digresses until verse 14. He comes back in in verse 14 to cover where he's left off. But he's going to digress a little bit here. And he picks up his original thought and purpose after that time. Prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now, to some degree, did you see what else he said? For you Gentiles. What does that mean? What does that mean? I'm a prisoner for Jesus Christ and for you Gentiles. Well, here's what he means. If he would have done what he was supposed to do like a good Jewish boy, he would have kept his mouth shut about the Gentiles. He would have towed the party line and not got involved in that. He wouldn't have gone against the status quo. He wouldn't have said, Gentiles can be saved too. He wouldn't have said that. Have we gotten to that place as Christians? Has the world gotten to that place as Christians? Because the world is such a dark, ugly place, we've become silent. Instead of standing up, instead of saying something, I'm not talking about getting a militia together and running over the White House, but I'm talking even with our friends saying what's truth, what's, what's right. And if they say something that's wrong, we stop them and say, I'm sorry, man, but that's not true. Especially if it has anything to do with God and his word. Right and wrong, we've been told, it's going to be, truth is going to be exchanged for a lie. So I believe that as Christians, we need to be as gentle as doves, right? We, we need that. We need to have that gentleness, but it doesn't mean that we just shut up, that we just stop. We acquiesce, and we do nothing with that. So he's saying, guys, I wouldn't be in prison if I hadn't told you that God loves you. I could have just, I could have just played along. All right, look at verses 2 through 7. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of grace of God, of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already. By which, when you read it, that you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which is in other ages, in other times, was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of his holy apostle and prophets. In other words, it's a time for everything. The time was not before this. The time is right now. That the Gentiles should be what? Second class citizens? That they should be fellow heirs. And guys, it's not going to be long before. In fact, it may be already that as Christians you are already second class citizens. We knew it was coming, right? 
It's just, it's funny how we are as human beings. God will tell us something is coming, and then we sing praises when on the mountaintop, praise, he says, come, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. And then we start seeing the signs. We're going, no, not now. Not now. Not now. I thought Revelation was, Revelation, you know, I thought that was a long time away. Not now. Not now. I don't. Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the spirit of his holy apostles and prophets. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body of Christ and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Now, some of you guys have heard me say this before, but my dad had done my mom so dirty and so wrong that she hated him and loved him at the same time. Um, But when we would share the gospel with my mom before she accepted Jesus Christ, and we told her, if dad accepts Jesus Christ, he's going to go to heaven. She'd go, no way. (laughs) <laughs> no way. He ain't going. No way. He's not going to heaven. I said, yeah, mom. Yeah, mom. It says it in God's word. Equal errors. So I said, no matter how he was, no matter what he did, no matter how you feel about him, if he truly gives his heart to Jesus Christ, God will forgive him of everything and he will be in eternity with us. Well, I don't know about that. You know, I don't know about that. That's the kind of mercy and grace that God has for us, no matter what we've done. That kind of love. He's saying the same thing about the Gentiles. They hated the Gentiles as much as my mom hated my dad. And there may be somebody in your life that you feel the same way about, and you go, there's no way I'd ever forgive him, and there's no way God could forgive him. Well, God can and aren't you glad that God sees things different than us? Or we might, not, we might not have cleared the line. You know, we might not have, you know, slid under. God forgave us. And then Paul says, Of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Did you see that word dispensation up there? Dispensation Some of your translations say stewardship instead of uh, dispensation. Let me see if I can go back up here. Um, If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of grace, it's a stewardship, right? Now, either way, what it means is that Paul had been given this stewardship to preach grace to the Gentiles. Now, when you are a steward... You are to do the business of somebody else. You do your boss's work. In other words, if you're a steward, you don't own that. You don't own that stuff. You just take care of it for the man that owns all of that. And that's what we are as Christians. We're stewards. We don't own any of this. It's all God's. For God to do with what he desires. We think we own it. But the reality of it is we don't own it. And I've always joked with our folks, I said, if, you know, if you think that you own anything, try to hold your breath for 10 minutes. Or five. You can't, can you? You don't control your breath. You don't have that breath. That breath was given to you by God. We are just a steward of it. 
but that was given to us by the Lord. So we got to remember that as a steward, we don't own anything. We just manage this for the Lord. So he's saying the mystery had been withheld. The cross came. Jesus came. The mystery has been revealed. God has given him a stewardship to go tell the Gentiles about Jesus. That's what God has told him to do. And if he would have said, no, God, I don't want to do it. Pick somebody else. He wouldn't be sitting in jail. But he said, Lord, I'm in. Here I am. Use me. And as a result of that, he sits in jail. But you know what? There's something inside of him that says it's been worth it. Doing what God asked me to do has been worth it no matter what happens. No matter where it puts me. And then he kind of closes that section of it by saying God had given him a certain amount of spiritual power through signs and wonders and the apostles through signs and wonders to effectively do the ministry that God called him to. Guys, if God's called you to something, just do it. Don't, don't be like Moses and say, well, I can't do it. You know, I can't speak. I can't talk. Because God will give you what you need at the time to do the work or he'll send a brother along to, with you that can speak and speak in your place. Because God will take care of you if you respond and do what he has asked you to do. Okay, look at verse 8. Now, to me, he's going, you know, God has given this to me. And then he looks at himself and he goes, I'm not worthy of this. To me, who am less than the least of <laughs> all the saints. Now that, when you look at that, how does that apply to you in your family? The least of, less than, and the least of everyone in my family. Or I am less than, or the least of, but God looks at it so. God loves us so much that no matter what we think of ourselves, God sees us in a completely different way. But he says, this grace was given to me. I may be the lowly apostle that came along later, but God gave this to me that I should preach among the Gentiles. And here it is, the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, back to the lottery. If you won the lottery or you came into a lot of money, unsearchable riches would be having a room that was so big and it was so full of money you couldn't go in and count it. Unsearchable riches of Christ. And even that illustration, that story, that example, it falls so short. Because it would have to be a million houses. It would have to be the entire world full of riches. Because it's unsearchable. Unsearchable. That's who God is. That's how rich our daddy is. So he said, God's called me to preach to the Gentiles. And tell them about how rich their daddy is. And to make all see what is the fellowship of that mystery. Which... From the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God. Manif I'm going to explain that a little bit more as we go. The manifold wisdom of God might be made known 
by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. You know what? Those principalities and powers in the heavenly places, who do you think that would be? That's some powerful forces on God's side. Some powerful forces on your side. Verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Jesus Christ. Accomplished what he did and it's finished. He accomplished it. If you ever have done a 2,000 word puzzle. Anybody ever here done a 2,000 word puzzle? My, 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 my. You guys are weird like me. We did one. 2,000. It took us a month, maybe more. You know, we put together a little bit and quit, put together a little bit. It was one, I think I mentioned it before, it's one of those old world globes. It's got the two globes like this and all, the center of it's just a bunch of lines, latitude, longitude, and white in the background. Anyway, that was a very, very difficult puzzle to be able to put together. Now, what he is trying to say here is that God's finished it. He's accomplished it. It's done. What God has accomplished according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Jesus Christ. You can't do it without Jesus Christ. You take Jesus Christ out of church. You take Jesus Christ out of the equation. You take Jesus Christ out of your marriage. You take it out of your, him out of your life. You take him out of your school. It doesn't work. That's that final piece in the middle that you put it together, 2,000 pieces, and you discover there's only 1,999 pieces. And hopefully one of your kids is playing a game. But if they're not, now you got this puzzle that you spent a month on or two months on, and you, it's nothing without that one piece. Jesus is that one piece. And he says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. It's almost as though Paul gets overwhelmed, right? It's almost when he begins to think about God, he gets overwhelmed, almost into a, a praise and glory situation, flat on your face, you know, praising the Lord. When he begins to talk about God's unsearchable riches and his manifold wisdom and grace and mercy that he shows upon us. Now, I'm going to show you a picture of a manifold. I think we got it back there. Many into one or one into many. That's what manifold means. Now that's a sprinkler manifold if you've ever messed around with a sprinkler manifold. And cars have manifolds. If it's a six-cylinder, you have three on one side, three on the other, and they come down into a muffler on either side or all into one. That's what a manifold is. The one on, the, on my right, on your right, um, that's the water coming in and the three on the outside of the water is going out to your sprinklers. So the manifold riches of God, who do you think the one is, the supply is, spiritually? You take that away, your grass dies. You take away the supply, everything dies, everything begins to dry up. If you're trying to live your life without Jesus Christ and you're wondering why your life is a mess, that's why. That's why you're trying to live life without the blueprint. You're trying to live life without the 
artist or the engineer that designed that blueprint in the first place. And it just doesn't work. So Paul's saying he kept this hidden, but he has revealed it now, and he gets to be a part of it. Here's the thing. Regardless of where you came from, one side of the tracks or the other side of the tracks, regardless of what nationality you are, regardless of your income, the cross is the great equalizer. It's the great equalizer. We are no better than anyone else. If you think so, you've got a problem. But that's that's not God telling us that. That's pride, that's ego, whatever we want to call it. But we are no better than anyone else. And in the cross or through the cross, we begin to see that fellowship and that love and that and that concern. And I I got to say this. In the cross, there is no black. There is no white. There is no Native American. There is no... It it shouldn't be there. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't appreciate our heritage. Of course we should. That's great. But what I'm saying is we're all sinners. That's the pool we come out of, a cesspool. And we can't look at somebody else who's coming out of that cesspool and say, well, you were dirtier than I was. Well, no, we came out of the same cesspool. We came out of the same cesspool, so we're, we're in the same spot. And now we're just brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's what Christianity has always said. That's what Christianity is saying now. But that's not what the world is saying. They're trying to get us to all hate each other. And that's why we're a threat. That's why Christians are a threat. We don't want peace. We want war. Isn't that what the Bible says is going to happen? Any believer... And every believer can now have the boldness and the access and the confidence in the Lord. So guys, if you've been put down all of your life, if you've been looked down upon, please know that that's not God. That's not the way the Lord feels about you. You are dear to Him. And so is the guy sitting next to you and the gal sitting next to you and everybody else. In verse 13, he says, Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart in my tribulations for you, which is your glory. So he said, don't be depressed. Don't be down. Don't be bumped out because I'm in prison because that's not the way I feel about it. So, you know, don't, don't be down. <laughs> so here's the thing. Here's the challenge. You don't have to remain that way. You don't have to be who you were or what people have told you you were. You don't have to be that anymore. You can be God's kid. And if he went to the cross for you, you know what? That makes you somebody. He loves you. He loves us. Verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For this reason I bow my knees knees. 
man, oh man, oh man. You know, how cool would it be if we didn't have the inhibitions that we do? Well, some of them are good, don't get me wrong. But at least when it comes to worship, to where we didn't care what the person sitting next to us thought. And I'm not talking about gold dust out of the, the vents of the church or, you know, running up and down or everybody buying tambourines. I'm talking about just that simple, humble worship that we kind of maybe sometime fall to our knees. Tears running down our eyes because of the gratitude that we have for Father. Man, wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be awesome? As far as Paul's concerned, he'll gladly submit to such a noble calling, even if it meant the suffering. And you guys, we've studied Paul. If you've been here for very long, we've studied Paul. Paul didn't have a whole lot of, he didn't place a whole lot of value in his own life. I mean, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't know how you come to that, but he did. He came to that place where he said, you know what, if I've got to give it up for the Lord, I'll give it up for the Lord. It's not a big deal. Look at verse 15. From whom the whole family in earth, on heaven and earth are named. And as you're talking about our, our father, right? From whom the whole family in heaven and earth are named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is that width and that length and that depth and that height. That's the unsearchable riches of God. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Guys, are we open to being filled with the fullness of God? For some folks, it scares them. Maybe because you've had a bad representation of it. Maybe there was someone in your family that just kind of went off the deep end. But you need not be afraid to say, God, I'll take all of you because he's not going to hurt you. What good dad hurts their kids? Are there dads out there that do? You bet, but not a good dad. He says, you know, I just want you to be able to comprehend how magnificent our God is. How big our God is. How powerful our God is. And I've been called to do that. So it's worth sitting in this jail if I have to. To be able to tell you about God. 1 Peter 2 verses 9 and 10 illustrates this even a little further. And it says, but you are a chosen generation. <laughs> You're going to like this. You are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. Now, I have a little bit of a problem with anybody looking at themselves as a king or a queen, right? I mean, that's popular today. If you go on the internet, whatever, somebody's calling themselves a queen. Somebody's calling themselves a king. And nowadays, it doesn't matter which gender they are. They can call themselves either one. 
But guys, when you are a child of the Father, you are royalty. Awesome is that. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, his own special people. Anybody ever said that to you in your life? <laughs> that you should proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, if you've been called out of that darkness into his light, you know what that's like. You never want to go back to that darkness. You get delivered from that and you go, oh my gosh, I don't ever want to go back. I don't want to go back to being that person. And then it says in verse 10 of 1 Peter 2, who once were not a people, you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. Then Paul closes with a prayer. Look at verse 20. And 21, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now, I want to I pause there for a moment. Well, yeah, but pastor, you don't realize that I have this disease. I have this thing that's going on, and I've gone to God a thousand times, and I've asked him to heal me of it, and he hasn't. I wonder how many times Paul went and said, you know, Lord, it'd be really cool if you get me out of this prison. We know that Jesus facing the cross, he told his father, Father, take this cup from me. But not my will, your will be done. Now, contrary to, the, to those positive confession folks that are always telling you that God means to heal, God means to make you rich, God means to make... That's a lie. Just simply not true. Look around. Look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. You look at the evidence, we know that you don't always get what you want. Neither does your, do your children. Hopefully. <laughs> but they get what they need. And so do we. So to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. But I don't want to minimize here the power of God. We should still ask. Sometimes we don't call upon that power. You've prayed for somebody for 10 years, right? Nothing's changed. So you quit? We do sometimes. But God doesn't stop. He keeps working. And one day you find out that that person you've been praying for for 10 years or 15 years came to know the Lord. And then you're going, why not when I was trying? Because God keeps trying. God doesn't give up. He continues to work in those lives. Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now here it is. According to the power that works in us. What is that power? Who is the inlet? Jesus Christ. That's the source of power. You unplug it, you have no power. That's the power. That's the strength. I'm just amazed at how much we will trust so many other things, but not God. 
not Jesus. These last two verses are kind of like Paul's hallelujah chorus, if you will. Even though he is in prison, he's reminding him that he's still in the hands of God. Who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Paul believes that with all of his heart. Whether God will let him out of prison or not, he's, he doesn't know. Not at this point. But the reality of it is, he's, he's still trusting that, if, that God can do it if God wants to do it. And that if God doesn't do it, then he's got an alternative plan that in the long run is good. That's hard to see when you want something so badly. And you want it to turn out a certain way. It's very, very difficult to say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Boy, that's maturity in the Lord. And I think that kind of maturity in the Lord takes a lifetime because God will work on us till the day we're in heaven with Him. And you take into consideration that the Hebrew world, the Gentile was considered forever separated from God. There was no hope for them unless they converted to Judaism. We still have that. We still have certain religions out there that believe there's no hope for anybody else other than them. Other than their group of folks. Christianity is not a little group. Christianity is a worldwide move of God. All right. I'll read this to you and then we will pray. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 20. It says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. They didn't know God. All the intellects around our world, many of them are going to die without Jesus Christ because they are their God. They're so smart they figured out that there's not a God. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God saves us just by giving up. He gives us eternity. What a simple message on the bottom shelf so you can share it with your five-year-old and they'll get it. But the riches are unsearchable. So it, it's easy to get to the bottom shelf, but you'll never get to the end of it all because God is so rich. Okay. 22, for the Jews request a sign, the Greeks speak after wisdom, but we preach Jesus Christ crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. If you guys, if we try to please men, it's just going to be foolishness. 
because when you try to tell them about God's riches and his mercy and his grace, they just chuckle, right? They just laugh like you're low IQ, the implorables. Or deplorables? Deplorable. For you see your calling, brethren, there are not many wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty, not many noble are called. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of this world in the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which were not to bring into nothing the things that are. That might get a little confusing, but he's saying basically we win. The world loses. All that wisdom. I want you to think about this. If everyone is so smart, right? If the leaders of this world are so smart, why are there people living on $2 a day to live on? Why are the economies all around the world disintegrating? Why are the fat cats making all the money out of us? Why is there so much hatred? They don't have any answers because they don't have Jesus. That no flesh, excuse me, no flesh should glory in God's presence. You see, if it all belongs to God, if he's the source, you and I can't brag about it, can we? God uses you to do something amazing. You can't brag about it. Remember the swamp? <laughs> We can't brag about it. Oh, I did this. Oh, I did this. No, hold your breath for 10 minutes. You didn't do anything. You have no power. You don't have any strength. If this happened and something good came of it, that came from your father. That came from your father. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But here it is in verse 30. But of him you are in Jesus Christ who became for us, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. 